My dad turned out to be a bigger giver than he ever imagined when I was growing up. And it came in an interesting way. Somehow, someway, my sister always seemed to have extra change, extra money. And she was marvelously generous with that extra change and extra money. In fact, she's exceptionally generous to this day. But you just never knew it. My brother and I one day would, you know, be out playing and my sister would call us in and say, Hey, let's take a walk to the local market. I have some extra change. And we would take a little, we call them little pioneer walks. Right? She would lead us to the local Gump's Market of all names, right? And we'd get our favorite candy and our favorite drink and then we'd parade home. And I'm telling you, it wasn't until years later, as young adults, we discovered the secret of her supply. You see, my dad used to put his change in his slack pocket. And when he got home after work, he would carefully hang his slacks upside down and close a drawer. And my sister learned that if she just went into the bedroom and just jangled that pocket, change would fall out. And she kind of left it up to God how much would kind of hit the floor. <laughs> you know, the greatest giver of all is our Father in Heaven. He is unsurpassed in his generosity. Paul Tournier, a wonderful Christian writer in his book, The Meaning of Gifts, has written, There comes a day when we understand that all is grace, that the whole world is a gift of God, a completely generous gift. We see each flower, each drop of water, each minute of life as a gift from God. He gives them to all, both those who know him and to those who are ignorant, and we don't have to sneak into a back bedroom and jingle any pockets <laughs> hanging from the dresser. God pours out his blessings to all and has poured out those blessings abundantly enough so that there could be not a single person in need in this world. And through Scripture, we receive a stunning perspective of faith. God offers us the care of this world. Imagine that. God offers us the care of this world and all its resources. Now, from the biblical view, everything belongs to God. Everything and everyone. So if God has entrusted the world and its resources to us, what does that make us? It's kind of an interesting word, but it makes us stewards. Let's say it all together. Stewards. Yeah, stewards. It makes us stewards. Now, what in the world does that mean? Here's a wonderful definition of what it means to be a steward or to practice stewardship in our lives. Robert Hastings has written, Stewardship is the management of life and all its resources for God and for the good of all. I love how... His very definition is a reflection of the great commandment. To love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. And to love our neighbor as ourself. What a beautiful picture of stewardship. And the author who inspired the series goes on to say, Stewardship is not just a way of life. It is a good way of life. 
It blesses God and it blesses others. And isn't that the heart of God's promise? I have blessed you what? To be a blessing. So why does God do this? Why does God do this? What is at the heart of God's plan for this life of stewardship? Well, at the heart of it all is love. Listen to these beautiful words by Mark Allen Powell. God gives because God loves. And God gives to us because God loves us. And when we give our offerings to God as an act of worship, we reflect that love. We love God back. In a word, giving is at its very heart an act of love, an act of worship, of expressing how worthy God is to us, how deeply we love and adore this giving, generous God. And you know, love changes everything. Let me give you just a simple story. I love my mom. It's been 10 years uh, since she died. I still have such wonderful memories of her. Although one, not, maybe not so wonderful. Although I kind of cherish it. Uh, she would take us shopping. And every once in a while, there I am, you know, seven, eight years old, in the middle of a, of a department store, and she would do this. Here, Bobby, hold my purse. <laughs> and then she'd like look at stuff go try a couple things on and I'd have to be standing there with her purse I did not find this helpful I did not find this heartwarming I found this utterly embarrassing you know what I mean okay fast forward 20 years I'm now married to the love of my life Lisa, and this is how far love can take you. We go shopping. Lisa hands me her purse. It, I don't even think about it. My hand just reaches out and I take it. It's like, and no kidding, we will be shopping at big places, full of, loaded with people like Washington Square. 20 minutes later, I'll realize I'm still carrying my wife's purse. Just without a, a thought. Love changes everything, right? We lose sight of ourselves and we simply open up our hands, right? In loving service, even if it means carrying a purse. Love does change everything. And this spirit of love and giving is reflected in Scripture throughout the Old Testament. Offerings are often simply a spontaneous act of thanksgiving, right? Of humble, God-blessed thanksgiving for what God has done. For the awareness that, whoa, God just showed up! And I almost missed it. You see it with Noah and, and some of the patriarchs, like Jacob. Uh, things happen and they just spontaneously, they just make an offering to God, sometimes a very sacrificial offering to God just for the sheer need to do it because that's what you do when you love someone and you realize someone has done something for you. And few are more renowned in their love for God than, than King David. And you know, one of his heart dreams was to build a beautiful house of worship for God in the capital city 
of his people, Jerusalem. Right? That was his heart cry, his heart dream, his heart prayer. And guess what he never got to do? See that particular dream fulfilled. It would fall to his son Solomon. But you know what David did? Before he died, he gathered a pile of of treasure that would drop your jaw as kind of of a first fruit offering to ensure that a beautiful house of worship would be built in God's honor and to God's praise and to be a light to the world of God's presence and blessing. And listen to a portion of his prayer in 1 Chronicles 29. Verse 14, David in a lovely prayer says, Lord, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? How? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Even the capacity to earn and accumulate resources or wealth is a gift from God. Now, it's possible to lose sight of this reality. And Jesus once encountered this in in a rich young ruler. He was blessed with wealth, but he kind of had things mixed up a little bit. He had a chance to meet Jesus face to face, and this is what he asked him. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Basically, he's saying, you know, what he's actually kind of saying, what, you know, what do I actually have to do? What should I do to ensure that I get in? You know, that I make it through the gate. It's a legal question, right? It's a law question. And so Jesus says, well, what about all the other commandments? You know those? And he said, man, I'm keeping them all. I've kept all those other commandments from birth. And Jesus kind of looks at him and this is how he responds. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Ouch. Ouch. What is going on in this story? Well, this young man was caught in the land of should, the land of the law, the land of what is required, right? What must I do? And the answer is all. It all belongs to God. You need to give it all up. That's the law. That's the should. You should give it all up. The problem is, how many of you should on yourselves? Do you find yourself doing that? If you live in the land of should, you will always fall short because the answer is all. How much should I love my wife? With all my heart. That's the should. Do I fall short? Absolutely. How much should I love my children? Give to my kids. I mean... It's everything, isn't it? I'm on deck for, for all. It's an all-in all, all in thing. Do I fall short? Absolutely. That's the law. We all fall short. If we live in the land of should, we're going to walk away sad because <laughs> we can't meet those requirements. Right? Here's, here's kind of a, 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 an interesting story from history. You've heard it a couple times over the, over the years. Kathy, you've even shared this one. It's, it's just too good not to share again. <laughs> but... Uh, um, there were a people called the Gauls, and, and they lived in what is now present-day France, right? And eventually they were conquered by Rome, 
And, and eventually, uh, Christian missionaries reached the Gallic people, the Gal people, but they were very warlike, right? And being a warrior was the greatest honor in their society. Well, as over time, as faith in Christ spread, many of the Gauls became Christians. Now, when a warrior of Gaul converted to the Christian faith and was baptized in a river or a stream, right, by immersion, the Gallic soldiers would hold their sword hand above the water, right, as high as they could, as the missionary dunked them under the water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It was kind of a peculiar custom, but the reason became pretty clear. When the next battle or outbreak of violence occurred, the Gaul's warrior could take up his club or sword and claim this arm wasn't baptized. I kept this piece of me dry. Do you understand? Wow. Now, this is likely the historic version of an urban legend, uh, but it's a compelling image, isn't it? I mean, isn't it true that uh, we're not so unlike those, those warriors of Gaul? Uh, we try to keep some part of our identity free from the influence of Christ. This part's dry. And in today's world, you know, there is just a desire to keep some parts of our lives dry, untouched, right? Picture people today, you know, going into the waters of baptism with an arm outstretched, clutching not a sword or an axe, but what? Probably like a wallet, a credit card, <laughs> right? The, the jar full of change for that next vacation. I mean, we try to keep part of our lives dry. But Jesus invites us to live soaked. Soaked in the gift and grace, blessing and generosity of God. Right? There is a good all. And it is this. All is from God and all is a gift. And giving begins in springs and is first and above all an act of worship. It's an act of the heart. It involves things like praise and thanksgiving, joy and love. And there are wonderful examples in, in the New Testament. Let me just lift up a couple. You just see this so beautifully expressed. The Magi, the three wise men. Matthew chapter 2. What do they do on coming to the house? They saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now what's a baby going to do with those things? But chances are, you know, parents of a newborn could use some resources. But notice, it was simply out of an act of sheer honor and regard, adoration, and worship. Another story, similar gift of devotion came Jesus' way. A woman broke into a banquet setting and fell at Jesus' feet, and she broke open one of the most expensive uh, jars of perfume you could possibly imagine. And uh, the Gospels vary, but anointed his head, his feet, and, and wiped his feet with her hair. In, in, the, in the Gospel of John, she's identified as Mary from Bethany. And what does it say? A woman came with an alabaster jar, very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Just a thank offering, a gift. In fact, she got kind of, you know, admonished. And so did Jesus. Hey, that was expensive perfume. You could have sold that perfume and fed a lot of poor people. But it was just an act of worship, an expression of her love. Another one, Zacchaeus. 
the, you know, the crooked tax collector. Uh, Jesus finds him up a tree, says, hey, I'd love to have dinner at your house. And Zacchaeus is so overwhelmed by, by the open love and acceptance and regard of Jesus, the offer to be part of God's kingdom. He just says, look, I'm telling you what, Jesus, here and now I'm going to give away half of my possessions to the poor. And Jesus, what does he say? Salvation has come to this house today. Now, isn't that interesting? In the land of should, it's all, right? We'll never measure up. But in the land of giving as an act of worship, of love, of thanksgiving, of gratitude and praise, it could be, you know, frankincense. It could be perfume. It could be half of what you And even, it goes even further. One time, Jesus is in the temple area and he sees a widow. And she simply places two pennies, two pennies in the offering receptacle as she enters the temple. Two pennies. And this is a temple Jesus has already said is corrupt, you know. They're not honoring God with the resources they're receiving, but she still makes this offering to God, you know. And what does Jesus say? Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Wow. Isn't that stunning? So what do we learn? It's not how much. (laughs) It's not the should thing. Giving as an act of worship is simply a good thing. It's a good thing. It is an act of praising and thanking God with a portion of the resources of our lives. It is an expression of love and an opportunity to serve God in this world and to serve others. Now, the problem, of course, is that we lose sight of what's important. That's just our problem. And and it's not new. Uh, The ancient Greek philosopher Epictetus put it this way. This is our predicament. Over and over again, we lose sight of what is important and what isn't. We just do. We just do. And here's what happens. We tend to plan and to, we plan for what matters to us. We tend to invest in what matters to us. And it is really good to ask ourselves, what am I planning for? What am I investing in? And are we investing our lives in what matters most? Uh, Another uh, modern philosopher, comedian, Stephen Wright, put it this way. I, I, I intend to live forever. So far, so good. Do you know what? We will live forever. And the question is, what will really last? There was a speaker at a, uh, a Christian conference once, and he had models of things that we do care about and we invest a lot in. model of a house, a car, um, uh, 401ks, you know, a picture of a vacation. And on each one, he placed a bright, right, pink sticker. And on the sticker was the word temporary, right? And that's the reality. All those things are temporary. Then he invited up a person from the audience. Joe, would you come, come stand up with me? Let's see if I can. Did I remember to do this? <laughs> Where'd I put it? Um, yeah. And he had a sticker, and on that sticker was the word eternal. 
any. Oops, keep my hand. Apparently, eternal means also Teflon. But he, he put the sticker on that person. He said, do you realize this is eternal? We are the eternal ones. And what we offer to God is eternal. Do you know joy is eternal? Love is eternal. Thanksgiving and gratitude are eternal. There is not a single ounce of joy and praise, adoration and generosity we express for God in this world that is not eternal. And the gift and the joy is that we can take the temporary stuff of this world that will not last, that is just so much dust, and fill the heart of God with joy because we offer it in love and thanksgiving to Him and to the cause of His Son, Jesus. Thanks, Joe, eternal one. Here's the reality. One day, we're going to stand before the God who loved us so much He gave His only Son. Think of that. We're going to stand before the God who loved us so much He gave His only Son. Won't it be sweet when we can stand before Him knowing that we didn't live in the should place, we lived in the good place. The place of His adoring grace and lives just broken open in love and generosity toward Him with those sweet gifts that are so temporary but can bring such blessing when we make them available to Him. Let's pray. Dear God, You loved us so much, You gave Your only Son. And one day we will stand before Him, the One who gave His life for us on a cross. And what a joy that day will be. Remind us today, bring home to our hearts today that because of His grace and love for us, though He was rich, yet for our sake He became poor so that we might experience and receive and become stewards of the riches of heaven. Open our hearts in loving surrender as we seek to imagine what can we do in response to such generosity and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.